0: The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. Today FM. And now it's movie time. And Ro McDermott, movies editor with Hot Press, is with us. And there's no doubt what the big release of the week is. Top Gun, Maverick, the sequel. A mere 36 years later. And Ro, I have to start by admitting that, and this is, I got into a big row with a friend of mine a few years ago about this. I've never seen Top Gun. Despite my age, he said, How could you not? Blasphemy. Yeah, how could you not have seen something so important to the 1980s, something that he's rewatched time and time again? And I said, How can you, as a middle aged man, have rewatched that time and time again? What was it about Top Gun that has made people so excited about Top Gun Maverick?
1: I think Top Gun is a perfect example of an 80s movie that we all remember it and it's very culturally important and people have such warm nostalgic feelings about it and when you rewatch it now it's actually not that good. I mean it's good, it's fine but it's not this masterpiece. I have a very strange relationship with the film because the film was known when it came out. First of all absolute piece of military propaganda in the States when it came out. There were booths outside screenings for the US Navy waiting to recruit young people because it made pu- being a pilot looks so exciting Uh, but also it was a deeply homoerotic film which I think we can all acknowledge now and I lived in San Francisco for a couple of years as you know and I used to go to a gay bar to study sometimes and they would constantly project there's quite an infamous volleyball sequence that is laden with sexual attention and they used to project that on the wall constantly on repeat so I have quite a weird relationship with this film but the good thing to know is if you don't remember the film very well or if you're like one of you blasphemers who have never seen it in the first place. You don't need to have seen the original to see this one. They really set up the relationships very well. They do nod into that nostalgia people have for the first film, but they flesh everything out. They make it its, new, its own new thing. They have new characters. And while they deepen some of the relationships that were established in the first film, you also understand the dynamics very well in this film. So they play on nostalgia without relying on it, which is a really nice balance.
0: I thought Tom Cruise said he would never do a sequel. So what changed his mind, apart from Filthy Lucre? <laughs>
1: I think the money is a big thing. But I think one thing that Tom Cruise, now he gets a lot of a lot of flack and some understandably so. But one thing he is always incredible about is he has a real commitment and passion for really brilliant action movies. And his commitment to doing practical effects, his commitment to doing his own stunts really elevates a lot of franchises. It completely transformed, for example, the Mission Impossible franchise. So he said he would come back and do this film On the condition that a lot of the special effects would be practical, he would be in an airplane. The actors would be in airplanes. They rigged up a new, basically a new form of cinematography where the cameras are in the cockpit. So all of the flying sequences feel really real, really palpable, nerve-wracking, really immediate and exciting. Sounds
0: like you got into this.
1: I think the action sequences are glorious. I think they're incredibly impressive. Impressive. The script is paper thin. A lot of the characters are very very one-dimensional but I'll have to give it to the cast all of the cast really elevate their characters with just sheer charisma and commitment to it but the way this film was shot the practical effects make it so exciting I'm going to compare it there was a film made a few years ago called First Man with Ryan Gosling that was about the moon mission which I don't think got enough attention that's a good movie really really good and that
0: bit at the opening sequence of it when they were actually trying to break the speed of sound was absolutely terrific
1: and what I thought was so impressive with that is that it showed how kind of analogue space missions were Really put you into the, you know, they were surrounded by switches. It was really juddery and jarry. It wasn't smooth sailing. And this film does that really puts you in the cockpit. So you really feel the wind rushing. You really feel dizzy and vertigo when they're spinning, but it's really thrilling. Is that a bit like a, a
0: virtual reality experience almost? Sort of like putting on a headset and doing an immersive experience? Is that what this is like?
1: Even better, I think, because there's so little CGI and the CGI and special effects that are used during the flying sequences are seamlessly. Edited in, so you really can't tell where the seams are, which is incredibly impressive. And the cinematographer for this worked on things like Life of Pi, Benjamin Button, really, really talented. And if he doesn't get an Oscar, not I will be furious. And I think blockbusters like this often get overlooked. But here, the cinematography and the visual effects are really what make the film, and they're so incredible. So, but also, what's really important is that this is about flying. This is there is a mission. Basically, Tom Cruise's Maverick has spent 30 years kind of racked with guilt because he was partly responsible for the death of his best friend Goose in the first movie. I'm not going to claim spoilers for that. If you haven't seen it in 36 years, you were never going to. Um, but he should be an admiral by now. He should be really high up. But he's kind of been on a self-destructive streak and he's somewhat coerced by the Navy to come back and train these top pilots on this very secret mission. The mission itself is kept very ambiguous for reasons that feel very political. That they're not. Let
0: me say it can't be Chinese because they don't want to be impacting on the Chinese market. Can't be Russia,
1: can't be Iran. So they keep it very ambiguous. But what they do very well is they explain the mechanics of the mission. They explain what these pilots need to do to complete this mission, how they need to work together, where they need to go rogue, what they need the planes to do. So if you're going in like someone like myself who is not a vehicle person, who is not an aircraft person, you really get to understand what is required so by the time the big finale flying sequence comes in you understand everything that's happening you understand what everyone's role is and you get to sit back and just be wowed sounds like you really like this the script is paper thin weirdly gender politics wise it's regressive from the first one there are less women with power in this but I think Tom Cruise is proving why he's the king of the blockbuster. He has enough charisma that he really carries it through. He's so committed to the action. The action sequences are glorious. They're really innovative. They're exciting. And I think once you get swept away in it, it's a hell of a ride. Is he not
0: too old for the part?
1: I think they play with age actually very nicely in the film because they show how he should be still you know he should be more elevated than he is within the Navy he should be doing certain things he shouldn't still be doing these kind of self-destructive racing hopping into planes hopping on motorbikes all the time but they make it into a character detail and there's a lovely thing that they do with Val Kilmer who was Iceman who was kind of Tom Cruise's rival in the first one but they acknowledge Val Kilmer has had a lot of health difficulties and they acknowledge how physically and emotionally vulnerable the characters are so they acknowledge that ageing process which I actually think works really well and again I think that's a really clever move on the behalf of the director by again playing into the nostalgia and the pre-existing relationships and not relying on it and maturing. Are we expected to believe that Tom Cruise did his own stunts? Always does. He commits. He's probably he going up
0: in fighter jets and doing this stuff. Have you so?
1: not seen the amount of footage there is of him breaking his own foot in the Mission Impossible movie and keeping going? And that's the take he used. He so commits to this. And I will say, like, there are a lot of movies. Gonna, we're going to talk about Bob's Burgers in a second, which you absolutely do not need to see in a cinema. Tom Cruise was also determined. This was shot three years ago. They've had a few years to like hone the special effects, but this was ready to go right before COVID. And Tom Cruise really fought for this not to be released in streaming and said everybody worked so hard on the stunts in this movie everybody really committed go see it on a big screen and I understand people are wary of going to the cinema I completely respect that also people's money is tight at the moment and going to the cinema with the kids could be a luxury this is one of those films that is so immersive and glorious to witness on a big screen. So if you are going to pick a film to see this and that this is it because you just get lost in it. Okay, a great that's
0: film. a hell of a good recommendation. Uh, tell us about Bob's Burgers or the Bob's Burgers <laughs> movie.
1: If there was ever a film you could wait to see on your laptop on a Sunday when you're a bit hungover, it's Bob's Burgers. But actually, great fun. I'm gonna admit I wasn't a huge Bob's Burgers fan. And in my what is Bob's Burgers? Bob's Burgers is an animated series. It's been going for decades. There's over 200 episodes now. And in my head, I was like, oh, maybe this is BoJack Horseman. Maybe this is Family Guy. Maybe this is a little bit edgy. But actually, it's more like The Simpsons. It's a really family-friendly story about a regular family. So you have Bob, the patriarch, who runs Bob's restaurant. you have his ever enthusiastic wife Linda you have their eldest daughter Tina who's a bit deadpan and sarcastic in the voice of reason you have Jean who's a little bit simple big imagination big creativity big naivete and then the youngest daughter Louise voiced by Kristen Schall who is the precocious slightly psychopathic, psychopathic okay. star of the family
0: let's hear a clip from it just so we have a better idea this is where Bob is preparing a burger to bring to the bank well that's the first time an exterminator said he's going to pray for us that's okay right that's not a bad sign no what you doing, Gene? I'm making an instrument out of spoons and a napkin holder and dreams and magic. Obviously, Tina. How's the burger, Bob? It's okay. I put an egg on it. Why is Dad making a burger at 8 a.m.? Is he on British time? He's making it to bring to Mr. Dowling at the bank. We have a meeting this morning and we're going to ask for an extension on a loan
1: payment. Oh, fun.
0: And we really, really need to get that extension. All the restaurant equipment is wrapped up in that loan. So you're giving him a burger? Well, I mean, we can't give him money, Tina.
1: Because we don't have any. Pretty much. How about you play him some of this? Ah, What, to scare him?
0: No, to enchant him. Bob, you know I love this Bring him a burger idea. But isn't it a little early to be making it? I mean, our appointment isn't for a while. This is a practice burger. Why are you whispering? I don't want it to hear him feel bad.
1: Okay. So you're getting insights insight into the family there. Basically when Bob Berger starts, everyone's a little bit vulnerable. The parents are facing this financial crisis. Tina, the eldest daughter, has her first crush and is struggling with letting go of control and feeling vulnerable about someone else. Gene wants to be a rock star with this instrument that he's invented out of a napkin holder and plastic spoons and is really struggling why nobody believes in him. And youngest daughter, Louise, is struggling because she's been called a baby on the playground and always thinks for herself as precocious. So this is all going within the family, but all also, there is a murder that has been committed and it becomes a bit of a Scooby-Doo, Scooby-Doo mystery, murder mystery where the kids decide that they're going to find out who committed this murder and then save their restaurant. Um, so it's a little bit of adventure, a little bit of comedy. There are some musical numbers thrown in, which make it fun. In the background, if you pay close attention, you'll hear the voices of people like Paul Rudd, of Jenny Slate, of Nick Kroll. So they really get in some like brilliant comedy voices to amp up the amp up the um, stakes of the film. Okay. Really consistently a good funny for
0: Bob's Burgers. There you go. Okay, listen very briefly. I need to finish up, but I want to ask you about another Paul Mescal movie, one called After Sun, which apparently may be really good
1: everybody is buzzing about this film this is the directorial debut of Charlotte Wells it's uh, produced by Barry Jenkins who produced films like Moonlight and everyone is saying she could come to the level of Barry Jenkins with this film Paul Maskell plays a very young dad to an 11 year old daughter so he had her very young they're often mistaken as brother and sister and the film basically follows them as they go on a, a little holiday together but the young daughter is uh, coming of age she's starting to ask questions about her mother about her relationship with her father he's really struggling with becoming such a young father and they were responsibility of that everybody is saying that this is such a sublime film, really intimate drama cinematography is beautiful, gorgeous performance from Paul But When are we going to get to see it? Uh, Not for a while so coming to Cannes but it's going to mark the start of yet another incredible year for Paul Mescal because he has another film coming out with Saoirse Ronan uh, called Foe and another film with Emily Watson called God's Creatures which is about uh, him and her living in a small town and some unsavoury things start to happen in their relationship and kind of the sense of innocence that is lost when something horrible happens in a in a He's small had town.
0: career. Listen, we've got to leave too it there. Really Roma Dermot, well. Movies Editor of Hot Press, thank you very much for being with us. Big thank you to my production team, Dermot Doyle, Liz O'Neill, Orla Kearney, Ivy Meehan, and Sarah McGuinness, and also to Shireen Langan, who looked after sound. Paula is up next. We're back tomorrow at half past four. Until then, for me, Matt Cooper, have a very good evening. The last word with Matt Cooper. Today, FM,
1: it all happens here.